what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelizzola, Sam Monson. We're live here on a beautiful Monday morning, Sam, live on YouTube, and we appreciate everybody for tuning in or listening wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, here we are. Morning. Yeah, another week, <laughs> another week, and uh, it's, um, it's big football week. Yeah? Every NFL team is going to play this week. Every NFL team? Preseason week one. We not, already had a game. Not week zero, it's like week one, Yeah, which we call two, I think. We have Hall of Fame week, and then there's this one. No, I think this week is one? yeah one. Okay, good. Right. Week one. Happy preseason week one, everybody. Yeah, we've already had a football game, sort of. We have had a football game. We'll talk a little Hall of Fame game, whatever you can take away from the Hall of Fame game. There's some things. There are some things. Not much, but um, we're going to break down all of the big name NFL signings from this weekend and what they all mean. Cool. And um, I'll play a little GM. Yeah. At some point as well. Mm-hmm. Sound good? Sounds good. What else? Uh, what else you want to talk about today? And then the other thing is, we're just hanging out, and we'll probably just ramble about all sorts of other stuff that comes up along the way that didn't make it into the title. Which we, is why you have to pretty much just tune in and see what we're going to ramble about. We do have a tendency to do that. Meme tendency. guy came yeah. back with a dropped a little video. Welcome back, meme guy. Did he? I don't know if he like went to Europe for the summer or something, but he disappeared for a few months. But he's back. I don't like to pry. Yeah, we. Should, yeah, I didn't want to pry. Yeah. But maybe he goes on vacation like the entire NFL. Maybe. And he's come back and he was making fun of us for the 10-minute diversion that we had the other day in the middle of like one sentence point that we were trying to make. Well, yeah, the, the clip that he posted pretty much, I think, sums up this podcast, which was like us trying to re like retrace our steps and figure out how the hell we even started talking about whatever diversion we were on. Yeah. That, that pretty much, that's how this works. The unfortunate thing is somewhere in all of those ramblings that we have yeah. i think we do make some good points here or there i just i can never remember them certainly not intentionally or you know trace track them down and that's the thing it's like when did it happen yeah why did it happen you can't even like because you know oh well maybe we should go back and clip that video the really yeah. smart thing we said but it was like a, a tangent in the middle of something else you, there's no way you'll ever track it down because it's not like you know we would need to like the uh, the timestamps, you know, on YouTube or the audio. Yeah, our poor social team. They can't keep up with that. That's the thing. You would need to, like, subcategorize them, right? It's in the middle of, like, yeah. Browns versus Eagles. But five minutes in, we're talking about, like, fishing. Yeah. There's, Sam had a great point about loaded. Ireland rugby while talking about Zach Wilson's Hall of Fame debut yeah. or whatever it might have been. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do know is the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, do you want to talk? Let's talk Hall of Fame game really quick, then we'll get into the signings. Okay. It was Thursday night. I think the Browns won. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's one of those games where, like, the vibe was, the, hey, the Jets. right? The Jets are looking pretty good because they were winning. They were up early. Earlier in yeah. the game. Zach Wilson with a bomb. Yeah. The end. Oh, that, was, that was, like, my one takeaway from the game. You just stole it. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, I had another one. 
Um, it felt like the Jets won because they you know, were winning early, but the Browns had more points at the end of the day. So technically, they won the game. Yes. That's that, how preseason works. I mean, it's how any game works. Can we discuss, can we make a big deal about the Ravens? In their streak at the Ravens. Oh, the preseason this year, streak. this preseason. Let's make let's be like overly dramatic. How do they do that? I don't know. What 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 are they up to now? It's like twenty or something, isn't yeah. it? Somebody drop in the chat. What's the Ravens preseason winning streak? They haven't lost since the Flacco administration. <laughs> administration. Yeah, incredible, incredible work by the Ravens. So uh, yeah, we are recapping the Jets and the Browns. Yeah. What are your uh, Hall of Fame game takeaways? So Chris I mean, and Mike Tarico, yeah. midseason form. They were just straight, straight in. in there. Three it's plays funny. in, they weren't watching football. <laughs> That's the best thing. We were like seven minutes into the game. We're like midway through the first quarter, and they're not even they're not even play by playing anymore. They're just talking to Rondé Barber on the sideline. Like six plays have happened, and we haven't even mentioned what's going on in the field. I, I do, I do appreciate – NBC did a great job, though, of making sure that we saw the plays. Yes. You know, in, in, right. Back in the day, sometimes they'd be like, no, we're talking to Ronde. And it's like – We're not even going to reference plays. them, but you'll at least see it on the screen. Or sometimes the local TV broadcasts, you know, they get the local crew and stuff. They're not, they're not as good at getting back to the action. You know, now, sorry, we're interviewing, you know, Cardinals legend uh, Larry Centers here. Sorry, we missed six plays. Do you think that everybody – It's tough to grade those. Do you think that late in the game, everybody was like – sigh of relief when Fred's in the booth with Chris and Al. And it's like, oh, God, we got 10 minutes where we don't have to listen to him screaming at us in the headset. He's gone. He's retired. He's yeah. done. That's why he's in there, going to the Hall of Fame. I don't think people understand. But yeah, they're probably afraid of appreciate, Fred. you know, how good Fred Gidelli is or was at that job. Like, that guy is insanely good at, you know, everything to do with creating, I think, the best football broadcast out there. Like, Fred Gidelli was the, he was the NBC producer he's i think he was going to the hall of fame right that's why they were celebrating him or yeah he had whatever it is. It, it's not or he got honored by right it's some sort of hall of fame honorific yeah. as opposed to actually being inducted but fred's great i mean I th i'm pretty sure he was the guy who started the uh, the first down line when he was with at espn he was in that he was in that mix there he had produced the draft and he used to do sunday night football for espn and then he was chris's producer for the major i think all those years um at nbc and uh, Chris was trying to explain that on the broadcast, just how much interaction there is during mm. a game. And um, not that Chris, you know, Chris is great at his job and everything, but Fred's in his ear telling him what to say, you know? <laughs> just saying Fred did a great job making sure that Chris and Al were, like, yeah. on point so and hitting the right, hitting the right notes, right. you know? So one takeaway is that we didn't care about the game, and neither did they after about three minutes. Uh, second takeaway is, obviously – with any preseason game, the result itself meaningless. All you can do is look for individual performances, and even then you have to couch it with, well, who are they going against, you know, blah, blah, blah. So Mackay Becton, his return lasted seven snaps. Now, they were good snaps, but yeah. there was only seven of them before he got hurt again and had to come off the field. So Becton, Jets left tackle, former first-rounder, again, he, as a rookie – he was the guy that ran at, at like 364 pounds, had one of those freak type of workouts, played better as a rookie probably than he did in college, and he's been hurt ever since. Yeah. And now during training camp, early in camp, he was missing practices right away, and they were celebrating the, the wins that were, hey, he practiced back-to-back -back days. Right, but I think that was by design. Like they were deliberately not going from zero to 100 and yeah. throwing him right back in there, 100% participation every single day, like, let's go. They were deliberately easing him back, you know, as a sort of part-time transition 
to get back to, to full health. And I think it was going well. And then, and I think, you know, I think this was largely precautionary as opposed to he you know, tore at ACL again. But point being, on a day where we're uh, remembering Joe Thomas with 10,000, whatever, 363 consecutive snaps, Becton made it seven. You're like, nah. Sad. There's something to that idea of your best ability is availability. You know, if you can't make it past seven snaps before getting hurt again and having to come out, that's it's not going to really work. You're a big Frank Gore fan. Well, and so. then, so, okay, by, by contrast, Dewan Jones, the other, like, 400-pound monster tackle playing for the Browns, I still believe was a first-round talent and slipped in the draft because of all, you know, concerns about his attitude or his weight or whatever it is. That dude played 74 snaps. Yeah, Dewan Jones, fascinating prospect. He plays 74, so they're, they're throwing him in the mix to just get some reps. Falls to pick 112 for the Browns, the, the fourth round. And remember, on draft night, I mean, I, I had, you know, my data was saying he's probably a fringe first-round pick. Mm-hmm. A lot of other people had him as a potential first-round pick. I had mocked him to the Bengals at the back end of right. the first round a ton. I the loved that right fit. tackle. Yeah, to, to answer the right tackle question, which is, you know, Jonah Williams and uh, injured Lyle Collins and Dewan Jones and we get there on draft night and Chris is in the seat and I always love doing draft night with Chris because he does like he does see the game like you and I become a bit of an echo chamber at times and even if we're not even if we disagree like I at least know what your takes are I've heard right. them for two months leading up to draft night I'm like All right, I know what he's gonna say Chris you never know what he's gonna say he's like a loose cannon you never know mm. so he was like man everybody all the GMs I talked to were just down on Dewan Jones. Yeah. Just and, down and on And Chris him. himself really liked him. Like, yeah. Chris thought not only is Dewan Jones a first-round talent, but he could play left tackle. Like, we're not talking about a that cliche of right tackle only. Like, he can move. He can play left tackle at the NFL level. Which doesn't mean anything, but, you know. No, but, like, I, there's still something to this idea, I think, that nobody – I, he was the only person I heard essentially project Dewan Jones to the other side of the line and say, you know, we were talking about a guy that can play on the left side as well. Like everybody else is just like, Here, here's your right tackle. Yeah. So Jones played in the Hall of Fame game a lot like he did at Ohio State and a lot like he did at the Senior Bowl before he left, which is part of the reason why people were upset. He just had one good day and bounced. Right. Um, 81 pass blocking grade. He was, I mean, he's just, he's a monster who moves pretty well, to your point. And he's just really difficult to get around. Well, that's the thing. He moves well enough that his size becomes a huge obstacle. Like, there are guys who are giant and they don't, like Daniel Falele, right? Daniel Falele is similar-ish size, kind of, to Dewan Jones, but does not move well enough. So you can get around it, right? You can make him take a false step, and as soon as he takes a false step, he's so slow to re-anchor and reshift his feet, you can get all the way around him. Uh, Dewan Jones moves well enough that you can't do that. So you're always going to have to go the long way around him. And when you're talking about a guy with the largest wingspan that's ever been measured, 370 pounds and the size he is, it's a long way around him. And, you know, that was an example of, of, of that in the Hall of Fame game. There are plays where you kind of have the beating of him, but you never – and he's so strong that even with one arm, you know, full extension – he can make it really difficult for you to get clean around him. So recovery length, I like to say, you know, like if you're not, that's what that's the reason why scouts look at arm length and in various things like that is because it's it's like how do you how do you win even when you're not at your best, right. even when you're not in perfect position. And Dewan Jones certainly has that because he could just 
you know, stick an arm out and slow you down. Because all you have to do is slow them down two and a half seconds, right? Two and a half, three seconds. That's your goal. If your footwork's not perfect, you're not perfectly to your landmark, can you win some other way? And Dewan Jones has that. When I watched this college tape, that really stood out was the number of plays he doesn't lose from a position that looks like he's screwed. Yeah. Like you're the guy's on his way around. You've got all you have is an arm to stick out and try and stop this guy. And just the sheer size and strength he possesses with that arm he stops them like they're not able to get around not able to get through that contact it reminded me it reminds me a little bit didn't at the time but now does since it subsequently happened but it's like you uh with the the stiff arm when we're playing rugby right there's so much arm there it's difficult to get past that and that's that's dewan jones in a nutshell look i I think my it, it listen when i stiff armed you on the way to the what do you score in rugby try to the try yeah Although you didn't because you spiked the ball. It's one of those things like when you're in the moment, it felt like special and <laughs> difficult. And um, I feel like I really achieved something. When yeah. you rewatch it and it watch, it's like two old men moving in slow motion. Yeah, neither of us. It looked like an well. old-timers game. Right. It's less effective. However, I do believe uh, me stiff you, stiff-arming you to the ground should be some sort of gif or you know recurring reminder here on yeah. the show. That's got to be embarrassing for you. Yeah. No, I mean, you watch that tape, and it's disgusting. I also beat you for a 70-yard touchdown once, yeah, which yeah, also we could yeah. dig up and, you know, have as a recurring The part here. there that you always leave out is that you were also eviscerated when we just flipped sides. Only the difference being, like, you weren't in tight coverage that the ball got through. Like, the 1.5 graded pass from former NFL quarterback, current quarterback coach, Zach Robinson? Yes. Like that, A, that part you leave out, right, was that there was a 45-yard pass or whatever on the button, plus 1.5 grade. The I second part you. you leave out I is that stacked. I ran away from you. we're in, like, lockstep coverage, ran and then you, you did some ridiculous thing with your arms where they're, like, out here for seven minutes making me, like, play the ball too yeah. early. It's an underused technique the to bait you part, into slowing down. The third part that you leave out is that when we flip sides and I was a receiver and you were in coverage – you weren't there at all, and we and I scored the you know fifty yard bomb. Are you are you celebrating getting open against a six ten two hundred? I'm just pointing out that there's there's a difference in you know magnitude of the. Of open. course, I'm not going to be able to cover you. Yeah, but that was your job. You were a defensive back, right? I covered fine. I ran past you. I covered perfectly until the ball arrived. All right, and then there was you know mistakes were made. Get back to the Hall of Fame game. Okay, so Dewan Jones, we've done both centers. Each one of these teams, you know, drafted one of those centers that did not go at the top of the draft, and you're like, why are these guys falling? Oh. They're still good. Really quick on Dewan Jones, there's no path to the field this year, unless because Jack Conklin's there, unless Jack Conklin gets hurt again, Which or has happened. yeah, I'm just saying direct path. I mean, I, I'm assuming they're expecting him back, right? Yeah, no, no, but I'm like, but like early has, has become a thing that happened. No, oh, the last couple of years, right. yes, of course. Um, I would think about Dewan Jones actually moving to the left side, though. Jedrick Wills is in that. Hey, he's. I think he's underachieved a little bit. Could break out here this year. I would think about it. But Dewan Jones looks like he might be the best backup tackle in the league coming into this year. All right, <laughs> after seventy-four on. snaps, after seventy-four snaps. Not that we're running, you know, and our draft type. So you know. Two centers, Luke Whipler and uh, Joe Tipman, both played uh, very well in that game. Both looked like they could be starting centers if the team wanted to do that. Um, and then, of course, we have DTR. Yes, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. 
Mm-hmm. After, by the way, the misery that was their starting quarterback in the game. He's also been Kellen UCLA Mark. quarterback since the Flacco administration, yes. DTR. Yeah. Um, Chip Kelly has not coached at UCLA without DTR as his starting quarterback. <laughs> Chip Kelly's heading into like year six here uh-huh. at UCLA, or is it seven? Um, so, yeah, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, did a, he did a great job with his legs. Yeah. Just made quick decisions, got the ball out. Threw a block. And threw the awesome block for uh, on, on a touchdown run. Your thoughts? So, I'm in danger of having to confront a reality where DTR might not suck. And I, so... This isn't because you're rooting against the player or anything. No. It's just that you are... I saw quite a lot of him. to your... Well, he's a guy priors. that got progressively better over his 17-year college career, right? And <laughs> the majority of that career I saw early on yeah. and, con- and consequently wrote him off at that point, you know? Like, you see enough of a guy early and you're like, no, nah, this, is, this is not going to work. I'm out. So I was out and then he got better. And it's like, okay, but I'm still kind of out. Like, he's got a long way to go before we're at the NFL level. But I'm starting to feel a little bit about him the way I did with, uh, with Jalen Hurts. Did not like Jalen Hurts coming out. And, yes, he'd gotten better from being benched at Alabama to, you know, his performance at Oklahoma. But he was still a long way away from where he needed to be in the NFL. And then you got on the NFL field, he was still a long way away, and he got better, and he keeps getting better, and he just keeps getting better and better and better, and at some point, that becomes really good, right? DTR is on that pathway. Now, we still have a very long way to go, but at some point, he reaches a line where I have to accept, okay, now he's actually quite good. I, I don't couple- know if I'm there yet, but I'm at least aware of the possibility that I might have to confront that reality sometime in the future. Some people jumped on that bandwagon during last season of at course. UCLA. Right. Where it had already started to show up, right? Hey, he's better than right. he was And obviously a bunch of people jumped on it after, you know, 25 snaps in a Hall of Fame game. Oh, look, he's amazing. Now, come on. It's the Hall of Fame game. Let's not go crazy here. But I'm in. I'm in. I am at least acknowledging that I might have to revisit that at some point. The season DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at ten over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, and more. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF. Enter DraftKings best, best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades, no I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app right now, sign up with code PFF, and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Avoid or prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash. See DraftKings.com for details. That's all. You got it once. Never to be repeated. It's very good. A couple shows ago, if we could just uh, drop that in right here. What you should do is you should have it get that clipped out, and then you can have that attached to our our uh, hotkey button thing that we're going to create, and then you could just hit it when you need it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Can we hotkey the ad reads? That's what I'm saying. Well, maybe not the ad read, but the terms and conditions. Terms and conditions, yeah. for sure. We should be able to do that. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know how a lot of times in the NFL, a thing happens? and a thing then, happens. And then yeah. the people overreact and like the thing that's only happened you know that's a rare thing is now you know this is the trend 
this is the norm. This is the new thing that we should be uh, getting ready for. Okay. Is there some element? Remember the old Bill Parcells? Right? This, was, this was this offseason, right? Like Brock Purdy became a thing. Who's the next Brock Purdy? Who's the next whoever? Are we seeing a trend, or is this just a blip, of the college quarterbacks with a lot of experience? Because the way you described DTR, I was having this, the same feels about Kenny Pickett, where Kenny Pickett was a four-year starter at Pitt, and his first three years, he was just meh. He was a, he was a pretty good ACC starter. Hmm. Can make some throws, can miss some throws. Sorry, he can win a few games with him over at Pittsburgh. And then he broke out his senior year and had a very good season. Brock Purdy four-year starter at Iowa State. Now the trajectory was different because he started out great as a true freshman, but you're more like, eh, he doesn't really have the tools for the NFL. And then when he regressed, it's like, ah, that makes sense. Brock Purdy regressed because he doesn't have these NFL tools. How could he win with that type of arm and no size and all that? And then DTR goes, you know, straight upward trajectory like you're saying. And Jalen Hurts has elements of that too, right? He was started as a freshman at Alabama, plays a few years at Bama, gets benched and eventually goes to Oklahoma and has a good year as well. Does experience matter again in a world where there's far more quarterbacks coming out as juniors, guys like Sam Darnold and whoever, right? Like there's a lot of juniors coming out who don't have that experience. And that doesn't mean they're not good. A lot of juniors are very good. But is there these hidden advantages again where these four-year starter types who, who don't, look amazing can actually step in and, and look pretty good like we've seen with Kenny Pickett, Brock Purdy, and now maybe DTR and throw Jalen Hurts in there. Am I missing someone who else has done that recently? I mean, I think it was probably always something that is valuable. So like Bill Parcells, you're right, was always a big exponent of like never touch a guy with fewer than, I forget what his number was. It was like, like 35. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, enough, it was like three seasons yeah, worth no, of it was, starting. It was significant. But, but he was like... It never made sense at that time when players always stayed for four years but I think it probably still makes some sense um, because there's value to that and actually the value in that might be going up because what's really important right now in today's NFL is you get no development time you need to be good immediately right and you need to be playing immediately because there's no capacity to develop from the sideline because you don't even get the practice reps anymore we don't have any time we don't have any reps to go around if you're not the starter you're not getting better so in order for you to get better it needs to be on the field which means one of two things needs to happen either you need to make the nfl fully formed so you're ready to rock right away or you need to have some kind of skill set that enables you to play in the NFL and get better at the same time. So this is where Anthony Richardson is an interesting case, right? And, you know, other quarterbacks in the past few years are similar, but Richardson in particular, because he doesn't have an awful lot of starting experience at all. So you'd be looking at him and you, and you, and a lot of people did say this pre-draft, that guy needs to sit and learn for a year or two, but he won't because he was drafted number four overall. He's going to start. He's probably going to start from day one. So, that plan is gone. You need to figure out a way of him learning during that first year or the first two years before he can be good, right? And he does. He has that rushing skill so we can build an entire offense that is contingent on his athleticism so that he has two years to get better as a, as a thrower. Jalen Hurts was similar. Even though he had a lot more experience in college, 
but we built an offense so that he could be on the field and get better for two years before he became really, really good. Um, but if you're a guy who's getting drafted in the mid-rounds, that's not happening. We're not building an offense around you. You're either good or you're not. So forget it. So if you're that guy, staying in college for two years and getting better for two years rather than hitting the NFL as a prospect that's raw and needs development time, you're way better off, I think, having those two years of playing experience than you are two years being in the NFL sitting on a sideline doing nothing. Like just hope mental reps. Mental reps are worthless as a quarterback at this point. Like that's not helping. So I do think there's something to guys like DTR staying in college for the full run and if not more, like the extra year, because that playing time is something you can't get at the NFL. There's no development pathway if you're not already one of the, you know, a starting caliber quarterback. So if you think a guy has that capacity, that's, I think, a good pathway. I wonder if we'll see more four-year starters coming out, the guys that are not going in the first round for sure. They stay in college. I, I always mention NIL as a more enticing reason to stay in college, not because you're going to make as much money as you would in the NFL, but there's something to, hey, if you're a, a third-round pick, you're not going to come out early as a quarterback unless you know you're going in the first round, so right. we might see some more four-year starters here. Uh, my final, do you have any other Hall of Fame takeaways? The only other thing I wanted to mention was Cedric, Cedric Tillman looked pretty good. Yeah, Cedric Tillman looked pretty good. Um, the Tennessee people are coming back for you. <laughs> Yes. University of Tennessee people, right. not Titans people. I, I, I kind of get the feeling that most of the people that will reply and be like, ah, I told you so, with the Tennessee people, didn't actually listen to what we were saying about that offense, right? Because nowhere along the line did either of us, at any point, I think, indicate that the trio of offensive players from that Tennessee offense, University of Tennessee offense, Hendon Hooker at quarterback, Cedric Tillman at one wide receiver position, and Jalen Hyatt at the other wide receiver position, at no point did any of us suggest that those guys would not be good NFL players. The point was simply that that offense is so divorced from any NFL offense that projecting it or projecting players from it to the NFL is largely an abstract concept. You can't look at it and say, that guy's going to be a stud because they're doing almost nothing that they're going to have to do at the next level. And this isn't just us, right? There's videos out there. I think it was the Cowboys wide receiver coach was basically telling Jalen Hyatt pre-draft that, like, you know, you know who you are. You're a vertical threat. Like, you're not a route runner. And he was having to answer questions pre-draft. of Like, yeah, I know how to run routes. Like, yeah. And the reason he was ask, answering that is because he basically ran three or four routes in college and nothing else, which is fine. That's all the offense needed him to do. But in the NFL, he's going to have to do more than that. And if he can, that's great. And nobody ever said he couldn't. The point was simply... We don't know because you're not being asked to do that. And my other point would be, you know, it's preseason week one. Let's hold off the victory laps, you know. We still don't know if they could do anything. Yeah, I mean, the, the Corey Coleman came out of that same offense years ago, and he goes number seven overall, right? Yeah, there's quite coming a lot of, of receiver. The track record of receivers coming out of that kind of offense, certainly well, recently, is not good. First off, Cedric Tillman has experience in multiple offenses. Remember Correct. when we were breaking it down, Tillman had about 370 snaps against press coverage, and whereas Jalen role, Hyatt had 15. Yeah, and his role was a lot closer to an NFL role than the, Hyatt's was. The problem, Andrew Cooper in the chat here, the problem is not that they're running option routes. Of course, that's an NFL type of thing. It's th that's those are oversimplified option routes because the offense spreads you so wide yes. and uses college spacing. 
you're almost always facing man coverage if you're facing, you know, so that's the whole, like, are we going to hitch or are we going to run a go? That's an option route in name, but it's like, you know, Harry, my eight-year-old can probably read that. Yeah, it's also not... Sorry, um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish this. All I'm saying is they see a lot of man coverage, so it's a lot of, if it's man, you know, right. get going, and the quarterback's just like, I got four one-on-one matchups, yes. four verts, and let's chuck it up. But that's the thing. It's also, it's an option route where we're able to, by alignment, isolate you one-on-one against an off-cover slot defender who's a safety in name, but not really. So now Hyatt is looking at this and going, okay, my option is either a hitch or a go against a safety playing 12 yards off in the slot in man coverage. Like, I, I think I've got that one. Let's run deep. And then all Hendon Hooker's got to do is go, <laughs> you're going to cover Jalen Hyatt with a, with a safety from 12 yards off, man on man on one side of the field, on the open side? I think I can read that. So they're just dropping back and it's pitch and catch, right? The number of plays where you look and it's absolutely like routine, easy stuff. It's just not, it isn't comparable. And it won't be. Like Hyatt is going to have to do more things at the NFL, which again. Do you know what it actually is? Nobody though? said he couldn't. We just don't know. If you're a Vols fan, like my buddy Mike, watching over here mm-hmm. we're complimenting your coaches it's a great offense for college <laughs> we're it complimenting your coaches like good job right creating a very good offense that's going to have them competitive again in the sec east this year with joe milton wait right. till you see joe milton throw the ball sam but there's so do you remember um oh, what was that guy's name uh kiaris garrett from was it tulsa, tulsa yeah kiaris garrett was another receiver from that kind of offense who absolutely cooked in college. And I remember at one point, you know, you know, we have those target maps, the little dots everywhere that you can see. When you pulled up his target map, the shapes actually formed like a four-route tree. Goes, hitches, bubble screens. And a slant. Yeah. yeah. It's like you can actually see that he's only running four routes from this target map. Like, that's what we're talking about. And any NFL offense you're going to need to run more than that, and it's going to be, need to be more sophisticated. So, you know, yes, the upshot of this is Cedric Tillman did look very good, but let's tap the brakes on victory laps with the Tennessee guys. And even if they all turn out, that doesn't make us wrong because the whole point was it's simply an unknown rather than a negative. Only here on the PFF NFL podcast could you get a quick-hitting Hall of Fame recap like that that lasted 30 minutes. Yeah, that features a... <laughs> defense of the Tennessee Volunteers offense. What we were really trying to buy time for, though, is these big-name signings oh. from this weekend. Okay. Uh, things like Miles Jack. Miles Jack. To the Eagles. I can't, yeah, Two got, of them. They got Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. Two linebacker signings. I love both of them. Fascinating linebacker room there. Mm. We'll talk about that in a second. Justin Houston goes to the Carolina Panthers. And Nikhil Harry, former first-rounder, goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Let's talk Eagles and their linebacker room and your I, I don't know how many times you've used this miles jack take but go ahead you hey, mentioned it off air bring it to the, bring it to the show i'm not bringing any take oh, okay. um the Fine. i don't know that this means a whole lot like everyone sort of I, this is the kind of they're two relatively big name signings um so i think a lot of people are going to be like oh they don't have any faith in the kobe dean or whatever like oh this signals a change or blah blah, blah. this is just the eagles doing what the eagles do which is in August, adding a couple of veteran depth players to a team just to make sure that things don't spiral out of control. Like, remember last year when they double-dipped and signed a couple of defensive tackles, um, Linval Joseph and Ndamukong Sue? 
It's like, did that mean that they had no faith in well, Jordan that was Davis different. or that Jordan Davis was getting hurt or whatever? Not those really. were different. Don't misconstrue that. They did sign those guys because Jordan Davis was hurt and then playing hurt and ineffective, and they needed a little security there at defensive tackle. Yeah, but it's just contingency. Like, they reached a point pretty quickly where everybody was back healthy and they just had these two guys taking up some snaps. Like, Linval Joseph, you know, last year in his 900 pounds or whatever he weighed, I'd love to have gotten an official number on that, by the way, because he was making Jordan Davis look small. We need to talk to the Eagles anyway, briefly here. My point being, it's insurance, it's depth, it's contingency. I don't know that it's an awful lot more than that. Yeah, I mean, N'Kobe Dean is, is one player. They also have Nicholas Morrow on the team, you know, slated for some kind of snaps. Mm-hmm. The idea of bringing Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham in, not a bad idea. Um, but again, the, the names are big. Zach Cunningham's a big name to me. It might not be a big name to the average NFL fan. I think he, I've always been a huge fan of Zach Cunningham's game. But you pretty much knew what you were getting with Zach Cunningham. Before he got hurt last year, he had 220 snaps last year with the Titans. Um, he was one of the better run defenders in the NFL for the first five years of his career. I loved watching him at Vanderbilt. He carried it to the NFL. Uh really really good at shedding blocks and just making plays in the run game the problem with him is he looked he was like the prototype for a long rangy looking uh, coverage linebacker but mm-hmm. never played like that 6'3 230 doesn't not a burner but fast enough I never uh, zone length and all that but just graded under 50 for uh, what three out of or under 53 in just his last three years. Bad coverage. in coverage. I, I never checked the the late Dr. Eager's uh, linebacker stuff that, you know, measures with tracking data how much these guys bite on play action, essentially. But it feels like Cunningham would be, like, right at the top of that. You know, that guy's yeah. going to bite a lot on play action and consequently never be anywhere near the ball when it actually arrives. Which which a lot of times, you know, is probably why he graded so well against the run. Right. He had He had a great feel in the run game. So... There is still this world for the Eagles where I think Cunningham becomes an early down specialist. Sure. Where that's, you know, you get him off the field in nickel and dime packages. Who knows how often they're going to play base anyway. Um, But there could be something there. Miles Jack, another, you know, fascinating career because he was an incredible, another guy that like incredible athlete. He looked like the new age type of linebacker who, uh, played running back in college at UCLA, awesome athlete, could fly around, and starts his career. So he came out of UCLA with a great coverage grade mm-hmm. uh, the first uh, the first couple of years that we did grading. He starts in the NFL with an excellent coverage grade, and it's just slowly fallen downhill since about 2019. Just had some ups and downs in his last few grades. 2019 was a 45, back up to 69 in 2020, 37 in 2021, and a 53 PFF grade last year with the Steelers yeah his career is just generally kind of falling off a bit and last season with the Steelers you know people thought maybe that was a potential great fit for him like a bounce back spot and he ends up getting benched late in the year for them and they obviously don't bring it back so it just hasn't kind of worked out for for Miles Jack he has theoretically you know all the skill set he's got the speed he's got the athleticism he's got the size and he's got at some points in his NFL career, like tape of all this stuff working. It's not like Zach Cunningham where he's been really good versus the run, really bad versus the pass, and it's like at some point teams just tire of that. Like Miles Jack has been good at everything at some point, just usually not tied together in one consistent block 
over the course of the season. So to me, it looks like the Eagles are saying, could we get a run game specialist in Zach Cunningham? Could we get a coverage specialist in Miles Jack, even if that hasn't been his specialty? But maybe if you isolate those guys. Um, this is coming off a year where they're, they're losing the great T.J. Edwards. The great. Right? And um, the guy that I love that was there last year. That Nicholas I Morrow? No. Who had uh, Former Charger. Kazir White. Kazir White. I was about to say, whose name escapes me, who I love. I love Kazir White. So, they, I mean, they, they did a great job, first off, developing T.J. Edwards, bringing in Kazir White for a year. So now they're stitching it together at linebacker around Nicobe Dean, who does, you know, there are some question marks there. So they're just adding some depth. Mm-hmm. It's solid, but I don't think it's, uh, I mean, this isn't the, div- the difference between the NFC East, between them and the Cowboys, I don't think. No. But it's nice to bring those veterans in. Plus, you get, you know, running back depth. There it is. There it is. Where does, where does Miles Jack rank on, on the, the depth chart? <laughs> Eagles running back depth chart? You must be torn here because you, you've got well, so several the, of your – all of your favorite running backs yeah, through Eagles history. Yeah, signing all of them. Um, in this world of like, oh, the, the way running back is being devalued, it should be pushing players into different positions. Unfortunately, Miles Jack is two options were both devalued positions. Like, do you play running back, which is getting devalued, or off-the-ball linebacker, which is getting devalued? Choose. He chose linebacker. I maintained at the time I thought Miles Jack was a better running back than he was a linebacker, but I don't know that that would have helped him in the NFL given the way that position has gone. Fat Cat asks in the chat, do you think Philly uses Nolan Smith as a linebacker? So they have been with uh, – N'Kobe Dean has missed some time, injured or whatever, in camp, and they've been working Nolan Smith as an off-the-ball linebacker during the time where um, – where Nicobe Dean hasn't been out there. And this is part of, by the way, these signings. Like, there's a degree to which you need bodies in the positions just during camp. Like, sometimes you'll see this. Guy's been down a couple of weeks or, you know, a couple other players are missing, so we just sign a body. You know, Nikhil Harry. This happens, right? We simply need a guy taking the reps so that this whole offense functions during these weeks of practice. And then as soon as that stops, you no longer have a purpose here. Bye-bye. This is pretty common for the sub-240 pound edge rusher, though, to, no, it is, to be moved I, to linebacker. But I don't know if that is an indication that like that's the plan as opposed to we simply need a dude occupying that spot during these reps. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I would cross-train Nolan Smith, not because I don't love him as an edge defender, but I think, again, as the Eagles, you're kind of afforded the luxury of so much depth that, hey, year one, Nolan Smith, when you get on the field, you're probably a designated pass rusher, and that's what you're doing. But I do like the idea of maybe cross-training a little bit at the linebacker spot and creating some versatility that I'm always looking for on the defensive side of the ball that maybe not every team taps into. But, yeah, I think that's a smart move to at least play into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Walt, for the first time in a while, actually asked a good question here. He asked if we've covered Marcus Peters to his Raiders uh-huh. as a signing. No, we haven't. We could throw that into the mix here as well. Okay. Marcus Peters to the Raiders. Uh-huh. They need to do something. I mean, any signing to the Raiders is helping them, probably. I, I, I like all those signings. It's a pretty low ebb for the Raiders to, you know, work from. I like all those signings. You know, Jason Verrett every single year. Jason Casey Verrett. Hayward on the cheap every single year. I like all those. Yeah. And, and they were, you know. I also, by the way, the Raiders anything. really need help in the secondary generally anyway. Anything that lets the Raiders keep Hobbs inside is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Like, 
if Hobbs is stuck playing outside in this in this defense, which itself does not um, necessarily play to his strengths, that's problematic. Although that might keep Meek Robertson off the field, but. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Peters coming in, you know, pick off Patrick Mahomes a couple times or something. I mean, that's – no, really, what Peters is is that boomer bust type of corner late in his career. But if you get the boom year, just like you got a boom year from Duke Shelley, not in – not the Raiders, but the Vikings did, and now you're bringing in Duke Shelley, you're just, you know, praying for some boom years on the <laughs> secondary there for the Raiders. Mm. So Marcus Peters could bring that. So and I like – Jacorian Bennett has been getting a lot of rave reviews in training camp. He – flash quite a lot when you're uh watching maryland tape like i think he actually has the ability to be a pretty impressive player i think he's got inside outside flexibility but wouldn't shock me if he ended up being a fine for them lower down the draft thanks walt appreciate you jumping in with a good question there though um justin houston way way too far gone for you to walk back the Walt. you can't like bring him around now you what do you mean you've identified and clearly targeted Walt as a personal enemy. You can't I have not. get him back on side. Just because I refuse to hire Walt as a scout, I believe even at entry level, mocked the concept of hiring him as a scout. Yeah, there's a difference between hiring the guy and, then, and accepting a question from him. Then dumped on his questions. I'm just saying, you've written him off. You can't walk that back now. Oh, you think, you think Walt's going to leave? I don't think... It, I, whether he leaves or not is entirely up to Walt. I'm think, simply saying that you are probably Don's, on his Don's list. Don's inviting Walt to, uh, th to Thanksgiving. I love yeah. that, the, uh, that you, our listeners and viewers are going to start having Thanksgiving dinner together. You are probably on his list of enemies is all I'm saying. Perhaps. Maybe that's why he shows up every single show. Mm -hmm. We appreciate the dedication, Walt. <laughs> all right. You got anything else on the Eagles signings here? No. Good. I got no more use for this guy. Yeah. Justin Houston of the Panthers. Like that one. Like that one. That's a good signing. I mean, there was the Panthers definitely had space for that extra edge rusher. Um, you know, Brian Branch, uh, Brian Branch, Brian Burns, uh, on one side, legit. You know, edge threat. The other side, yeah, not so much. And I actually saw there were a couple of Panthers beat reporters that were like, "This is a team crying out for a veteran edge rusher on the other side. Why haven't they made a move yet?" And then, boom, there it is, Justin Houston, who could still kind of play. I, I, yeah. I remember writing uh, writing up uh, edge rusher free agent rankings four or five years ago, and was writing up ah eh, you know end of his career and he's still pretty good still pretty good pass rusher he's going to be more of a specialist, but I love this I mean throw Houston in the you know into that mix of guys that I would probably sign every single year until him and Melvin Ingram would be on my team every single year. I mean he's he's basically the same age as Von Miller. It's just that. He had like a bad year relatively late, you know, in his run, like a lot sooner and therefore sort of started this like the end stage cycle of the veteran edge rusher where your team looks to move on and then you become this sort of sequence of short term rental type guys. Miller didn't have that for, I think, a longer stretch of time and then just went signed a new big deal. Like, you know, when he came back, he was as dominant as ever. Justin Houston started to wobble and then became, you know, just his career there deviated from Von Miller's and went in a different direction. But the guy's basically the same age and at his very, very best was right up there with Von Miller. I think we probably as a league wrote off Justin Houston before it was time. So these years where he's essentially like a mercenary for hire as an edge rusher are still valuable. Yeah, he's also, he's been eased into 
simpler roles later in his career. So last year with the Ravens, he was just a pass rush specialist, 306 pass rushes, only played against the run 93 times. He missed a few games in there, but 430 total snaps for him. 2021, 590 snaps, similar, pass rush specialist for the Ravens. Did the same thing with the Colts, pass rush specialist in 2020, uh, under 700 snaps. I think that's that's what you're getting, right? You're not. You probably don't want him playing that thousand snaps, right? So I think Houston has settled into that world that I do like. When, again, when we write up free agent rankings every year, we're like, what do you do with this thirty-something-year-old, still productive guy? You know, where do you put him in free agent rankings? Because he's going to be a one-year guy, uh, but he he could still play. And every time I say sign the one-year guy, I say do it for five hundred to seven hundred snaps and get the most out of him. That's what we've seen with Justin Houston and his pass rush grades over the last couple of years have been good, 77 and 75. Still productive. And uh, you turn Gross Matos opposite Brian Burns in Carolina, has not gotten the job done. I think Houston's going to be seeing a lot of time rushing the passer as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I know. I think that's a really good signing. Like That's one that makes an immediate impact for this team, hasn't cost the earth, and doesn't have to be a long-term commitment. So now Walt's predicting Carolina wins the NFC South. What are your thoughts there? The NFC South is wide open. Anybody could win it. You I could mean, say anybody, and I'd say, yeah. yeah. Right. Like I could see the, it. The Saints catapulted themselves to the, the front of that queue as the favorite of the NFC South by getting good, capable, solid quarterback play in Derek Carr. There's absolutely no reason that Bryce Young can't hit that level right out of the box. Like, be that level immediately. And if he is, then you look at the two rosters. Like Which left, level? A Derek Carr level. You think Bryce Young can step right in and be, say, QB 12 to 14 in the NFL? I'm saying there's Derek no Carr reason he can't be. Okay. Like, Bryce Young has that kind of ability. The, all the concern with Bryce Young is, well, what, do you, what if he gets hurt? Okay, but what if he doesn't? Like, what if he, even if he gets hurt in year three, what if the first two years are simply injury-free and you get Bryce Young? That's not the only concern. It was the principal concern the other concern is that his height's going to limit his potential his upside throwing over the middle the things that have hindered the other short quarterbacks recently like kyler murray and baker mayfield but what if he simply plays the way he's played in the sec in the nfl yeah i'm saying he could still be good i'm i don't think the only maybe your only concern was injury i don't know if the league's only concern was injury okay anyway my point being if you simply get bryce young in the nfl you are getting a guy who can absolutely give you play that rivals Derek Carr, at which point you go to the rosters and say, well, who's got a better roster, Carolina or New Orleans? It's pretty close. If you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. Mm -hmm. That's scaped, like as in manscaped. As opposed to what? I'm just saying, manscaped. What was the potential confusion there? I just, I like the way they did that. That's cool. Okay. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure that we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare for that summer bod. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer? It's also waterproof. Beach, lake, or shower. 
This razor will devour even the strongest pews. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. It's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Mm. I used the uh, the beard trimmer this weekend. Did you? It was getting a bit out of control. I had There's to take the whole thing. Looks great. Take the whole thing down. They also have now. They haven't sent us one of these, but this is more for you. Like the beard trimmer for you, not so useful because you're in this whole designer stubble late late stage of aging that yes. you're rock- I rocking I shaved right yesterday. Now. That'll take me through the week. Here's the thing. So they have what they refer to as the handyman, which is a like electric face razor. So mm. that's that's for you. I need the beard trimmer because. With the beard. All right. What is you, it? The handyman. The handyman. I need the handyman over it's here. A compact face shaver. Can we get our Manscaped friends to send the handyman over? I could, I could pivot to that and tell you all about my once a week Sunday shaves and the That's precision right. uh, that they go. allow me. Yeah. That I'm just assuming is the case because Manscaped makes amazing products. Although it is, <laughs> it is what they refer to as a compact face shaver, and it sits quite small in the hand of what I assume is a normal handed person which therefore would make it comically small in your hand. Can we get a plus size? And for that reason alone, I think you need one because we should get that photograph of you holding this minuscule face shaver in your giant monster hands. That would be hilarious to me. We should make that happen. Can we get Manscaped on the phone here, please? All right. What's our code for 20% off? Uh, PFF. There you go. Is the code manscaped.com. The other big signing this weekend, Nikhil Harry mm. to the Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is like I was saying Nikhil before, Harry and right? Jalen, they're just... They have four first-round wide receivers on the roster now, only two of which might actually make it out of training camp. I, the, the former failed first-round receivers, though, you got Jalen Rager and Nikhil Harry. You don't see that happen too often at receiver. A lot of teams tend to do it on the defensive line. Let's stockpile former first-rounders. You don't tend to see that many guys like, let's resuscitate the, the whole, let's get a, a wide receiver core entirely composed out of first-rounders. Didn't Atlanta do that recently where they had a whole bunch of those guys? Receivers? Yeah. Well, they, they like brought in Laquan Treadwell and that kind of thing. I mean, Jacksonville, I think, had Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin in the same squad. Right. Maybe. But anyway, my point from before, sometimes you just need a dude to occupy a space on the roster for a while in training camp so that somebody's getting reps and you can run 11 personnel. Uh, that's what's happening here. Like, they've had a few people injured. Several wide receivers have not been able to take reps, so you're down three bodies. So you're bringing in Nikhil Harry to occupy those reps. I still think there's a world where I would play him as a big slot, fringe tight end. <laughs> fringe tight end. Yeah, we're simply. I agree with you in principle that there is a there is a role for Nikhil Harry at the NFL level, but there comes a point where sufficiently large numbers of teams have tried to find it and haven't. That you have to be kind of like. I just don't know if they have. I think they're happening now. I think mostly what's happened is you know they've said former first round receiver. He's a receiver. I mean, even when the Patriots drafted him, it coincided at the time when Rob Gronkowski had retired for a year. And they had the worst tight end room in the NFL. And it was like, well, Nikhil Harry's probably not going to win on the outside. Make him a big slot and run your tight end, run your Gronk routes with Nikhil Harry. At least try it. And they didn't. The one other thing that Nikhil Harry's good at is creating after the catch. When they, you know, on 
end arounds and screens and this and that. I mean, who knows? We're year five into his career now if he's lost a little bit of that. But if I'm taking any kind of chance on Nikhil Harry, I'm making him this half big slot tight end hybrid, and I might throw him some gimmick plays because he's got a pretty good feel with the ball in his hands. But that's those are the opportunities. He's got under 70 career catches in yeah. four years. And no, the it's... Patriots 2018 first-round pick, Sony Michelle, has just retired. And uh, Nikhil Harry, the 2019 first-round pick, is on his third team. Sec- uh, yeah, third now. Um, yeah, it's been, there's been questionable picks there. I'm still endlessly fascinated that Nikhil Harry was the receiver that tempted the Patriots back into the first round. By the way, also, again, the, the team that's terrible at drafting wide receivers, like, there have been some reasonably negative reports about uh, Tyquan Thornton in training camp, like not emerging as the consistent deep threat, the guy that's going to take the next step year two, blah, blah, blah. Like, how are they this bad at finding wide receivers? Uh, but here's the thing. So why can't can Nikhil Harry have the same career transition as Juwan Johnson? Yeah, Juwan Johnson, former Oregon receiver, turned productive tight end for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have done this four years ago. Yeah, but they haven't. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, because you, it, again, just by Juwan, the way, when was Juwan Johnson drafted? Was he even drafted? I don't remember, but... When? Uh, um, he was in the... On my award Undrafted free agent in 2020. Case. Yeah, so he's... Those are the guys you play around with. Ah, oh, undrafted guy? Right. Like when I showed up to Brewers camp <laughs> yeah. in 2006, uh-huh. undrafted, 6'10", project... Mm-hmm. I would throw, I would, if I threw a bullpen, you know, you're like, you'll practice session, Sam. I'd throw it with like four different coaches. And they're all trying to like put their stamp on me. You know, they were like, oh, this guy, you're going to throw, uh, you should drop your arm slot over here. Yeah. And then another guy's like, you should throw a slider. So throw a slider. Another guy's like, you got to drop down over here. Now another guy's like, you got to crossfire it like this. So they all had their own takes. Because like, who cares what I do? Like, you've got no chance. It's just a bowl of clay. But if point. I figure something out and nudge you in the right direction, I get credit for it. Right. right? The first round pick throw in the bullpen, like there's a plan from on high yeah, yeah. what to do with that guy. So Nikhil Harry, you can't just like throw him at tight end. Jawan Johnson's like, you know, undrafted free agent, former receiver who's pretty big. It's like, of course we're going to try him at tight end. He can't win outside as a receiver. You didn't want to be a day one of camp and be like, uh oh, Nikhil Harry, our first round pick, he can't win outside a receiver. We hope, hopefully, we could teach him <laughs> over the next few years. If only there was a way of knowing that beforehand. So me and Jawan Johnson, like the same guy. Pretty Just much like the same guy. Is what yeah. we're saying. Yeah, Nikhil. Yeah, you should try those things. Anybody who's pushing two thirty, and they are. So they're almost identical dimensions. Six, put his hand both, in the dirt and give it a shot. They're both six four. Nikhil Harry is listed at two twenty five. Juwan Johnson was listed at two thirty. I think they're basically the same guy from a physical size standpoint. Only you're right. I think a big part of that is one of them was undrafted. The other one was a first round pick. So it probably does limit how willing you are to screw around with that kind of thing. Um, there's another question from the chat. Anything else on Nikhil Harry here? Uh, no, other than I don't think that that means anything, and there's a pretty good chance he doesn't make it out of training camp. Yeah, probably. But we'll spend some time talking about it. Um, the Raiders signed Yannick Ngakwe as well. Yes, they did. The Raiders? The, did I say Raiders? You did. I meant Bears. Yeah. Like, my brain was saying Bears, but I kept... Raiders was also on my mind, right, too. I was just registering that you were bringing the up Bears. the Ngakwe signing. Ngakwe to the Bears. Before I registered. I could have sworn said, I said Bears. but you said the wrong team. Yeah. Yeah, so the Bears, they've now met the spending floor, by the way. 
So they no longer have to just sign people simply to spend money. Um, but, you know, Ngakwe does represent probably the only viable NFL pass rusher on that team. I would have rather Justin Houston. Yeah. So that's what's interesting. Ngakwe is heading into year eight, and we've seen a little bit of decline in his production. He has never been a good run defender. Right. This is also very, very interesting. As I described the Justin Houston career arc, where it was like teams learned at this at his age, a little bit older. Let's keep him fresh. Let's let let's make him a specialist. Yannick Ngakwe still gets trotted out there, 250, 300 times a year against the run, where he's never graded above. He's never even graded in the 60s. He doesn't. Try. He's graded in I the mean, 40s. It, and this goes back to Maryland. He was. He's always been this guy. Yeah, I don't know how much of Zach Cunningham's you know one-dimensional style of run defense at, all, at the expense of everything else is intentional and how much of that is that's just the way he plays the game but Ngakwe is the classic example of a pass rusher that sells out for the pass rush all the time like he's just not interested in defending the run now at some point you sort of wonder is that instruction or is that like an NFL team saying for the love of God would you think about the run once in a while and then you know then go to the pass rush as opposed to every snap bombing up field and hoping it's not a run play. But yeah, he is a classic one-dimensional pass rushing guy who hasn't actually been that productive as a pass rusher for a while now, um, but still at least represents that kind of juice on the edge, which this team didn't have otherwise. So I would say I'm not a huge Ngakwe guy. You know, he's apparently he had 12 sacks last year, nine, nine and a half NFL sacks last year. Um, we had him with 12. On 434 rushes, though. I mean, again, it's not doesn't have a high win rate. His win rate was terrible, um, lowest of his career since his uh, lower than even his rookie season, where he started a little bit slow. He had a couple 10 sack seasons in there. Um, I'm not a huge Ngakwe guy, but if you use him as just a pass rusher, the other thing is he's a wide nine type of rusher. He is a wide rusher. Right. He's not the type of guy you ever want. Certainly not early downs, head up over a tight end. You don't want him. He's not a guy that moves around and you know kicks in against the guard. He is a pure edge. So if you use him as a pure edge and a pass rusher, he shouldn't play against the run more than 100 times, just like Justin Houston does. I think there's probably some production to get out of him there in Chicago. So an interesting comp for him last year would be Josh Uche. Both guys had 12 sacks in the regular season or sacked the quarterback 12 times in the regular season. Let's put it that way. By our right? numbers. Yes. So... For anyone that is unfamiliar or hasn't listened for long enough, we have different sack numbers to the NFL because we believe that a half sack should count the same as a full sack. Essentially, the NFL does not award half sacks because they think it's half as good as a full one, right? You needed help, therefore you only get half credit. They award half sacks because they want the numbers to add up on a play. So it's not a qualitative distinction between how good your rush was. It's simply saying that two guys did it at the same time, so we're going to half the credit so that the numbers make sense at the end of the game. Um, so at PFF, you get credit for a full sack even if somebody else arrived at the same time. And by the way, most of those sacks are of that variety. They're not of you actually needed the second guy rocking up to make this play stick. Yeah, right? we try it's to not, make it like... Same time right. tackle, basically. So essentially, we'll give you 12 sacks if you sack the quarterback 12 times. The NFL could give you, give you any number based simply on how many times you split that with another guy. So Josh Uche and Yannick Ngakwe both sacked the quarterback 12 times last season. Um, 
Yannick Ngakwe's pass rushing grade was 57. Josh Uche's was 88. Josh Uche had, what, 12 more total pressures over that period of time and did it on 150 fewer pass rushing snaps. He also only played 47 snaps against the run in the season. So the Patriots were very good at isolating him as you are a pass rushing situational specialist only. You will never play the run if we can possibly help it. Um, and then another guy I think that was interesting to kind of contrast that is Uchenna Nwosu for the Seahawks. Played 900 snaps, played against the run almost 400 snaps, was not like a situational guy at all. Had 10 sacks, sacked the quarterback 10 times. But unlike uh, Ngakwe, who only had 44 pressures, Nwosu had 61 on basically the same number of pass rushing snaps. So it was significantly more productive as a pass rusher on a per-snap basis, even if the sacks ended up broadly similar and actually uh, Ngakwe had more. Yeah, so I'll say this. The Bears, uh, the defensive line is going to be fascinating this year. I, you know, They've brought in a lot of depth, some youth. you got guys like uh, Demarcus Walker was their, their biggest free agent signing. You bring in Ngakwe. And he's useful as well, by the way. What's that? Walker's useful. Oh, yeah, he's, he is useful. But it's going to be, you know, can the Gervin Dexters and Zach Pickens of the world, right. two draft picks, can they develop? Uh, Dominique Robinson, who showed flashes early last year and, you know, kind of tapered off. There's not a lot of historic production there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll see how these guys develop there. Yep. All right. We can tell everybody about the uh, send in their fantasy football punishments. On you go. Just send them in. <laughs> That's I don't it, have the huh? whole. I don't have all the uh, the yeah. details. But by all the details, you mean any details at all whatsoever? No, I was just got nothing. I was telling you. There it is, right there. Yeah. Send in your fantasy punishments. Uh huh. Like the best videos. You should do a. Um, you do like a you know some sort of slide. The slide in always still plays here. They didn't so have the slide in in the the, uh, the Hall of Fame game. It was just huh. straight to uh, Chris being there. Preseason for everyone. They probably forgot. Well, with Fred, you know, Fred retired. Maybe, maybe Fred was the real architect of the slide-in. <laughs> the brains, we told you he was the brains behind the yeah. operation. They need an homage right. to that. So uh, you and a friend can become VIP guests of Chris Collinsworth, our boss, at a Sunday Night Football game of your choosing. I mean, dude, send something in. You can go to the Sunday Night Football game. Yeah. Like you're going to the game I'll just if have you VIP. send something in. I mean, okay, Al's not there anymore, so there's probably not a stake kicking around for you to have, but... And the best part is you get PFF Plus for your life. Lifetime subscription to PFF Plus, so you'll never have to do this embarrassing video again. Sure. So here's the trick here. Even if you didn't lose, do some sort of fun, embarrassing video. Pretend like you lost. Right. And then you get to go to a free game and you get a free PFF Plus subscription for life. That seems pretty easy. Yep. You can see the page there on the screen. Um, the link for that is in the description of the show. So if you're listening or if you're uh, watching on YouTube, go to the link in the description. Send in your video. You could win free PFF Plus for life and be a VIP guest of Chris at a Sunday night football game this year. Of your choosing, by the way. So you can pick the best game. And yeah. Sunday night football has some good games. Wherever you want. So go do it. Go do it now. All right, anybody else, anybody, anything else people want us to discuss before I answer some GM questions? No, and I'm looking forward to that more now than I was a minute ago because it turns out there's, there's some technical issues that are going to lead to some, some is, funny things. This is going to be great. So are you <laughs> answering some questions today too? No, just you. We're working. Okay. So, you know, we, we've, got, we've been focusing a lot on 
video elements for the podcast, you know, graphical elements, display, you know, stats, all this kind of stuff, right? We haven't spent that much time focusing on the audio listening experience. You, you may notice if you consistently hear squealing or buzzing in these microphones that we just can't ever eradicate from the studio. I haven't heard people complain about buzzing in a while. Same, but you know, I'm sure it probably still exists on the basis that it seems to be blighting our existence for all time. But anyway, um, what we are going to try and do is work on a couple of little you know, audio transitions, little montages. So when you do your Palazzolo for GM consultant segment... There'll be like, in addition to the to the Kevin Costner Palazzolo on I have screen. walkout music? Yeah, there'll be like a walkout music. And Is I it also my old walkout music? Ultimate no, Warriors theme? No, no, no. no. Um, and then also, if we have a billionaire segment, you know, Ask the Billionaire. Ask the Billionaire. We're going to have like a little, definitely a hotkey for that one. Because I found the most billionaire thing ever to, I got to play. It. So don't forget, it's it's Ask the GM, right? Palazzolo. Consultant GM, Consultant Steve Palazzolo, GM. NFL podcast at pff.com. If you want to ask Steve Palazzolo a question as his, has, in his role as Consultant GM, fire in the questions, put, you know, Consultant GM it or whatever. A hypothetical title. question. It could be for your actual team, whatever it might be. Right. And then you can also ask the billionaire, yes. which is you. So also, you know, in this whole make-believe dynamic, I am the figurative NFL team-owning billionaire who is in need of a consultant GM. I'm the one posing the questions. So if you want to ask the billionaire how they would react to certain situations, familiar and intimate as I am with the mind of a billionaire, then uh, fire away. Same thing. Fire NFL podcast at pff.com. All right. You want to get your ass over to the podium? I'm going to the podium. Cool. Here we go. Destiny provides the opportunity. Music play? Character fulfills it. No, we haven't done that yet. There's, oh. We're working on that. But it turns out it's quite difficult to like scour through every piece of film in the last 20 years, finding things that are applicable to say in a little montage, you know? So that's gonna take some work. I'm so there we are. 40. I, I need somewhere to put my hands. You can't. Look, the podium is the podium, deal with it. Oh, look, I've got my turns, out the, uh, turns out the macho man's glasses and hat actually uh, react to the background as well. Oh, do they? These are the perils of green screen. Now, the real peril of green screen is that I've worn an Ireland jersey, which, Probably means that if the camera goes back to me, yeah, there you go. <laughs> what happens? Uh, I am wearing the backdrop effectively. Oh, that's awesome. I have become, that's great. I have become Rob Lowe, except instead of a hat, it's my entire jersey. You should wear that jersey every single show, and we could just make it into right. any, sh any gonna shirt gonna we want. A, we're going to need a visual graphic of this because that's some pretty impressive work. Okay, now, you know, stay over there. Don't, right. don't leave the podium. That's Still disrespectful. Here. It's not allowed. Now. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for yes, Palazzola GM. This one is from Bryn. Uh, Steve, first time GM over here. That's Bryn. Okay. Uh, I sold my billionaire owner on a vision and my plan to bring a Super Bowl to insert team name here. The roster I took over was in rough shape, but not completely devoid of talent. And we've added a lot of players thanks to trading down several times in the draft. Smart. Uh, we're in the midst of camp with around 40 rookies on the roster. My question for your consultant services is, how much should camp be swaying my roster decisions or even preseason games? We had extensive evaluations on all these players, but that was college, and this is as close to NFL football as they've come yet. Help me weigh prior evaluations against current, potentially meaningless evidence. Man, I love this question. This is a great question. It's a challenging one. Uh, I say hashtag trust the model. You got to trust the college evaluations. Now, it's not like you're throwing out your training camp evaluations. There's definitely something to the eye test here, right? Training camp does matter. And honestly, I suggest 
a lot of those uh, joint practices. Right? You really want to get those game reps, those controlled game reps as much as possible. And they do matter. Uh, preseason games and training camp reps, I think you got to add them all up, right? So what happens with preseason games a lot of times, the guy plays 30 snaps. You make a couple plays here and there, and he looks like he has a good game. The training camp reps, though, you can stack those. You can get a bigger sample size. So I'd actually weigh training camp as long as you've got those game reps in training camp. You know, that's a little contradictory, but game-like reps in training camp. I would weigh those maybe even a little bit higher than the game action in preseason. Don't get too swayed, but you go in with your priors, you know? Look, this happened to me at spring training. Happened a lot of times, right? You roll into spring training, and you knew the team had everybody slotted. These guys are going to the big leagues. These guys are going to AAA, AA, et cetera. There's always a couple guys, though, that kind of moved a little bit. So have 90% of your priors are probably going to be true. But, you know, allow a little bit of room for that 10%. And I would say lean on the training camp reps. As long as you guys are going high intensity and getting a good look at those guys, you might be able to, you know, get a little better evaluation than what you had in college. But the reason why you lean on those college evaluations is they're tested against time. And if you're using the right model, it'll work over time, despite what happens at rookie training camp and in the preseason. There we go. Nice work. It's a beautiful shirt. It really is. Um, apparently, the, uh, the constant references to the model are wearing thin on certain people in the chat. They roll oh. their eyes when you mention the model. Why are they rolling their eyes? I don't know. Maybe they... I assume you have kind of some kind of draft model, Brian. Someone's model. It doesn't have to be mine. Mm. Someone. You trust your draft evaluations. Walt, trust whatever the heck you use. Right? Just trust your evaluations to a point. Don't be swayed by a month. By a month of work. You tweak a little bit in that month. That's all it is. Trust your work. All right. Thank you very much, uh, consultant GM. Yep. Thanks, I'll see you answers, next week. I think that answers Brin's question. Solid work. Solid work. Yeah, note to self, if we're doing consultant GM, don't wear an island jersey. Apparently that, that causes see what this problems. Looks like. I tweeted it out. You can see the, uh, the image. All right. Well, that's, no, you should always our, wear that jersey. Yeah. Let me see. Where are you? There was our uh, consultant GM. So anyway, NFL podcast at pff.com. If you have questions either for Palazzolo consultant GM or for the billionaire owner. And as soon as we get that little machine in here <laughs> to do the hotkeys. You need to wear this every time we do the green screen. That's unbelievable. Yeah. As soon as we Tyler get. Tyler could put any shirt on you at any time. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh -huh. Oh, man, that's great. I have, I have a few Island jerseys as well. We, could, we isn't, could easily work this. Isn't that a fascinating concept? I love that question. Green screens? It, oh. No, no. The, the question. Uh, the how much do you actually weigh this first look? I thought you were just fascinated by the technology at work. Green screens. You know, no, that's isn't it. this amazing? How much should your, you know, 30 to 40 days of real hands-on working with these rookies and getting a feel for them and, you know, pushing them, and how much should that weigh against your evaluations? Yeah. I mean, what, here's what the other thing. Particularly for guys that are showing something different, I think. Because that's, that's the problem. It's like if what you saw in college is the same thing as you're seeing in camp, the same thing as you're seeing in preseason, it's easy, right? But the guys that are showing you something dramatically different from what you thought a month ago, that I think is, is a real issue. Because you're like, well, hmm, how much is this real and how much of this is whatever, like a product yeah. of environment, just a freaky run of play, whatever it is, a product of limited reps, who knows? I, I think camp, though, 
And maybe I, you know, as I'm thinking about it more. I think camp can tell you who's ready now, though. I mean, just, just because you loved a guy and drafted him in April, it doesn't mean you were wrong if he's not ready right now. So it's okay to say, hey, this, this guy you know, needs another year. We, hope, we, we expect to see more from him next year, but he's not going to contribute that much this year. I do think camp is going to move your depth chart around a little bit, but it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you've missed on a guy or anything. So it doesn't necessarily mean mm. that. I also, I mean, it must be, I think, getting harder as well for teams that do have – you know, the situation in the question. Like, if you've got 40 rookies, that's a lot of reps to be Oh, you do. I mean, just the best, the best guys. We're going to watch the Rams. I mean, Sean McVay has even said it's going to be different this year. Sean McVay, who, as soon as he took over in 2017, took the most extreme preseason stance and did not play his, rookie, his starters at all right. in the preseason. Even year two Jared Goff, who was coming off of one of the worst quarterback seasons in NFL history – in a new system, and McVay's like, nope, doesn't need a game rep. We're rolling into the season. And we had no idea what to expect because we hadn't seen Jared Goff in a preseason game whatsoever, right? He didn't even take a snap. Is that right? I don't think so. Am I misremembering that? No. So McVay took this extreme stance, no starters whatsoever. And now he doesn't have starters. He's got two good players, and they're going to have to play all these rookies. So it's going to be actually a competitive preseason for the Rams, and I think they're going to just throw all the rookies into the mix and you know, see who becomes the four, five, six starters that they need. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't want to talk? No, I think I agree. Oh, okay. It's the end. Be, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Show's over. Show's over. Show's over. You're, you're cashed out. Just to that part. I was finished with that, that theme, that topic. We could turn your NFL shirt into a – Real shirt to sell. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sure, the sh- I'm sure they won't care. Us using the shield. <laughs> Absolutely. They've, uh, they're famously very relaxed about that kind of thing. Shield shirt, right. we'll call it. Uh-huh. Do you have anything else to discuss today? Did you see this NBC? It is NBC, right? The, they've essentially created... Oh, I have a question for you. The, they're, in, they're in the search for the best non-quarterback of the millennium. So since the turn of the millennium. 2000 who is the best non-quarterback in nfl history over that period of time and they've created like a bracket now it started apparently with our our good friend of the show chris sims um also he's one of the best non-quarterbacks no no, no. like he started creating this list oh. um because he's both a quarterback and not one of the best uh but they also have then folded in you know if you want to make something worse what do you do you ask the people. <laughs> the people make, make oh, people are voting calls. on it. Yeah. So, oh, the, is the bracket filled out? So they've got to the bracket now, which Send is the, the final bracket. sixteen. Oh, no, just tell it to me. Surprise uh, me as we go. Here. All right, final sixteen. So I don't. They've they've essentially tried to do it. I I don't know quite what the stipulations were, right? But mistakes have been made before we even get to the bracket, right? For example, just the players they picked. Yes. For example, I don't think there's an there's an offensive lineman on the list. So Joe Thomas, one of the greatest players to ever play the game, I was, has not appeared on the list of one of the best. I was going to say, off the top of my head, yeah. I forgot about J.J. Watt for a minute. Off the top of my head, I was going to say Aaron Donald, Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas. Yeah. But yeah, J.J. Watt needs to be on there. there. Right. I think okay, those so guys should be in the final. The current part. bracket, right? Travis Kelsey against LaDainian Tomlinson, J.J. Watt versus Derrick Henry, Darrell Revis versus Gronk, Chad Johnson versus Ray Lewis. Larry Fitz versus Aaron Donald, Julio Jones versus Luke Keekley, Brian Dawkins versus Michael Strahan, Adrian Peterson versus Calvin Johnson. So I would, no offense to Chad, 
Yeah. But I would replace Chad with either Antonio Brown or DeAndre Hopkins. Right. So I think what they did is you or could Tyree only Kill. have one per team, right? So uh, Ray Lewis went up against Ed Reed, for example, and two of the best players in the last millennium or over this millennium, Yeah. only one of whom could even make the bracket, right? Gronk and Kelsey both have strong arguments here. They also allegedly um, ignored some of the votes because apparently Palomalu in the vote beat Ray Lewis. Oh, really? So there was some kind of one per team and then division or whatever. I don't know. It's very So anyway, mistakes have been made before well, you even get to this level. Yeah. There's a lot of very good players that simply haven't even made it to the bracket, such Brian as Dawkins. Joe Thomas, any other offensive lineman, Ed Reed, Palomalu, like a lot of guys. Von Miller, I mean, you know, we're missing a lot of players here. I would say Aaron Donald should win. There's yes. also an AFC versus NFC bracket here, yeah. Correct. I think Aaron Donald wins. I do think that the bracket here, though, throws up some interesting battles. Adrian Peterson versus Calvin Johnson is a pretty good round one matchup. Yeah. Running back bias out of it, Adrian Peterson was special. Right. I also think people are overlooking Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry versus Watt is pretty special. Like Both guys effectively redefined what we thought was possible at that position. It's I just think that Watts was more obvious. Revis and Gronk in the first round is a travesty. But it's because it's the AFC East, right? You're trying to do this divisional thing. That right. is a travesty, though, because both guys, I think, should be in the final four. That's right. If I was picking up, if I was, if I was picking a final four out of this group, give me Revis, Gronk, Watt, and Donald. Ooh. See, my final four had, I think, J.J. Watt versus Ray Lewis, and then Donald versus Peterson. J.J. Watt, Ray Lewis, yeah. See, I think Revis, I think Lewis beats Revis for longevity. Now, I'm not consistent because I think Watt wins, even though longevity was a problem. Um, but, Re like, Darrell Revis is as good as any cornerback we've ever seen in the NFL, but didn't do it for as long as Ray Lewis did, who was also one of the best linebackers we've ever seen. So I think you have to give Lewis the edge there. But, like, realistically, the difference between Kelsey and Gronk is longevity, right? Like, Kelsey they just is still going. Did they just not think that the fans could handle voting for an offensive lineman? I don't know. I don't know how the offensive lineman never made it this far. But it sort of makes you understand sometimes how offensive linemen still think that they get screwed and all this sort of stuff. Oh, why do we ever get any recognition? And you're like, come on, you do, really. And then this happens. You're like, no, they really don't. People don't even think offensive linemen exist. You know, back in the day, it was kind of acceptable. Yeah, but PFF has existed for 15-plus years here. Like you should have, you can have offensive line takes, you know, you can at least, you can use some data to back things up. So Donald wins, right? I have, I have a question for you. Yeah, I think Donald should win. Hmm. I have a question for you. Okay. And I saw our friend Bob Sturm was trying to answer it on Twitter. Uh -huh. uh, Messi playing in MLS. Yes. Is like what? Is this, uh, is this Tom Brady playing in the Mac? What is the equivalent here? Messi playing in MLS. Because yeah. every night he's got a highlight. He's, he's awesome. He's the, he's the man. What are we watching here? Yeah, it would be current 46-year-old Tom Brady playing in the FCS championship. FCS? Probably. So Tom Brady's going head-to-head -head with North Dakota State right, right now, just carving him up. So Tom Brady, park him on whatever crappy FCS team doesn't normally make a run, and then he goes on the run and meets North Dakota State in the FCS championship. That's what's happening. Great. Why would Messi do that? 
Just all the money? A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> a okay. lot of money. They, they, the contract is such, and it's multiple contracts. So MLS has a salary cap, right? But A, you can designate individual players that just don't count. So it would be like the, that guy? Yeah. Okay. So it would be like if the NFL decided, right, you have a $153 million salary cap, and then you can just say, we're going to pay Patrick Mahomes $3 billion, and it doesn't count, <laughs> right? That's what's part of it. Yeah. Other thing is... Every contract in the MLS is not for an individual team. It's like centrally contracted, so they can effectively do whatever the hell they want, right? In addition to not counting on the salary cap. So they're paying him whatever they're paying him, which is going to be the earth. And he can have like a piece of the team so they can give him like you get 25% of Inter-Miami or whatever it is. And he's going to get a slice of the Apple TV subscriptions. So like every new person that signs up to watch he's going to get a piece of, and he's going to get a chunk of the Adidas merchandise, which apparently has been such a high demand that they literally cannot print enough messy jerseys for people to get them. So he's going to end up earning like a billion plus dollars out of this. Well worth it to go play the FCS. Yeah, whilst becoming like the top scorer just for giggles, because he can. I'm fascinated that in a sport like soccer that you could be that much better than everybody. Because, like, the more people you have on the field, the harder it is to have that much of an impact. Quarterback's unique because you literally get to, you know, touch the ball on every single play. But usually, like, an NBA player is more valuable than, you know, a hockey center or a baseball player because there's fewer players. So in soccer, where there's so many people, can you be that much better? I mean, golf's kind of the same thing to me. I'm just fascinated that, like, a Tiger Woods could have been that much better than everybody when you're facing the field every week. Like, how do you win as often as you did? Just really interesting to me that you could be that good. I mean, there's a couple of things. Number one, he's just that good. Like, we are talking about maybe the best player to ever play the game. Yeah. I say maybe. A lot of people would say definitively. But, you know, comparing Messi to Maradona to Pele, it's just, you know, whatever. Arguably the best player ever. So you are talking about, like, the pinnacle. Um, And he's shown that he can do it against the top-level competition. Like, the dude just almost single-handedly won a World Cup by deciding he was going to do it this time around. But also, I think you start to see pretty quickly, you always hear that cliche, you know, there are levels to this game. (laughs) There's, There's quite a large number of levels between, you know, let's say Barcelona at the peak, the top of the Champions League, and the MLS. So Messi dropping down to the MLS is dropping down several levels. And anyone that's ever played against a... Everyone who's ever played soccer and then played against a team that is, let's say, multiple levels above them, or even a player that's multiple levels above them, you find out very quickly, like, this guy on a world level, this guy stinks, but he's at least three levels ahead of me, and this is embarrassing. Like, that's what you're seeing here. Okay, real quick. What about, what level would you have to go to to have a similar level of productivity as Messi? they there isn't a level bad enough for that to happen. No, I'm saying like, would you, is it like a 12 year old girls league? That's what I'm saying. The level doesn't exist that I could have that kind of impact. You couldn't go dominate scouts team. I mean, I could dominate, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't look the same as messy. You know what I mean? Like you ever see those? I'm just talking production. Japanese are big on this. You ever see those videos where they put like three players against a horde of a hundred kids, you know? Yeah. You know, anybody can do that, but it's not quite the same. I just want to see you against, like, the eight-year-old team or something like that. Go, you know, goal of the game. That's all you need, right? Yeah. 
You could do that <laughs> easily. Yeah. I just, it feels like it's. There's feels probably like a 12 year old team somewhere where you could go and have messy like numbers. Yeah. Oh, numbers. Sure. I'm just saying that the, you would, you'd feel the difference, you know? The performance wouldn't look as slick. I'm not talking style points here. I'm not asking you to be the Patrick Mahomes of 12 year old soccer. You just want the production. Yeah. Yeah. How far down do you have to go to have similar results? Yeah. Where we, maybe, you know, people buy an Apple TV for you. It's definitely an age grade thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's time to go. We're going to be back on Wednesday. Is there anything else? Yeah, Wednesday. And then after the show, we'll be going to Bengals camp. Right? Going to Bengals camp. This th- you send in your Bengals camp questions. How's Joe Burrow's calf? I don't know. We'll, we'll probably, ask around. We're probably unlikely to find out. Either. I don't think we'll find out yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, we're going to go check out not Bengals camp, but Bengals Packers practice. Do you see Jamar Chase saying that they like, don't even show up before week five to Joe Burrow? Oh, he was saying that? Yeah, he was basically like, I don't want to see you before week five. I don't even care if you're ready for week one. Don't show up again. Yeah. And he was saying, apparently he was... Long game. He said that he did that last year. Like, he deliberately sat out an extra game just to make sure, like 100% sure that he was going to be good. Don't don't rush it back. I'm not saying the one extra game, the 17-game schedule is the thing, but it's the 17-game schedule plus the, the one less buy in the playoffs. It makes it more of a grind where health might be more important in the NFL than ever before. I mean, I, I think there's definitely val, uh, value, merit to the argument of if you're even remotely on the borderline, for a guy like Joe Burrow, you know, for a team that's expecting to be challenging for a Super Bowl, sit out the extra game. We don't need you week one. We need you week 20. That's the point. So we'll go, we'll go check it out. We'll see. Somebody, uh, I forget who it was, but somebody emailed us in uh, pointing out that your vitriol against the Justin Herbert records in the 17-game schedule era was stupid because he didn't start his first game. So he only essentially took advantage of the 17-game thing like last year at the end. I thought he did start his first game. Oh, that was week two. Yeah, Tyrod got one start. And uh-huh. then... So he's even after two years relative he's... to 16-game people because he missed a game somewhere in there as well. So he's essentially only took it. He only it was that plus... only became the 17-game schedule beneficiary after three years. It's that plus the era. Blah, plus the era. You yeah. were just railing against the 17 game thing. You're like, ah, oh, you see, I told you this was going to happen. This era of 17 games, everyone's going to become the first guy. Take away guy. 300 passing yards. It's going to be significant. <laughs> Take away 300 from that number. He probably falls to fourth. No, he was still that guy after those first periods. Like the first year, he was still yeah, that guy. Yeah, we got to go. Record. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Wednesday for more PFF NFL podcast. Mm-hmm.